We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Ooh, Jonah Lanto. Don Palumbo. It's oh, prime it's, time. Here we are. I feel like I'm seeing you more and more lately. We're getting back into our There's going to be a lot of that. fall groove. I know, I guess. The fall groove. We got big plans, big goals for our future. Don Palumbo, there's going to be a lot of you and me. I think there is. And it was funny at our last live event. If you've been to one of our live events, uh, you know that there is a Q&A afterwards. And I think one of my favorite questions to date is when um, when someone in the audience asked what, uh, because we do spend so much time on the road together, what our least favorite part of the other person is. I said your techno music sometimes. I didn't have any least favorite parts of Don Palumbo because she's just so wonderful. Jonah does that all the time. So we want to give a big shout out and thank you to our fans who have taken just a little extra time out of their busy lives to interview to interview. <laughs> uh, well, you can interview us at the Q&A, basically, if you come to a live show. But to review Midwest Murder on iTunes, man, it really helps us a lot. It helps us get recognized out there in the world, and it motivates us because we love to hear from you guys. This one, uh, Don, I'm wondering this time around, what are people saying well, about Midwest Murder? I think I think it's good. Hooked. Five stars by KRL or KR Lee FNP. I'm guessing that's a family nurse practitioner. I pay attention to those letters. Interesting. Me. Maybe I like, that's what I like to do. I like to, that's I like smart. to guess people's um, credentials. It's kind of fun. Anyway. So true crime junkie and resident of the Midwest. I have listened to many podcasts and this is at the top of my list. Thank you. Well, thank you. I love it. Well, awesome. you're, you are welcome. Yeah. And thank you. Binge worthy five stars. S Lundy 87. I love a good history lesson of how dark the mid- Midwest can be. I love how you preface every crime with that, what was popular in that time. It puts my mind in that time immediately. The nostalgia is great. I think the majority of podcast listeners want to feel like we are right there in conversation. This podcast makes it very easy. Well, thank you, S. Lundy 87. I, and I say, I tell you what, you're not wrong because I kind of want that in a lot of the podcasts I listen to is to feel like I'm right there in the conversation. Right. And that's one of my, um, my favorite parts you know we're referring to the the what was popular in that time or what was going on in that time it's one of my favorite parts to to check out you know it's cool i i like i don't think we planned that it just sort of fell into place when we were talking right. about how how to how to build this and put it together and i i, I agree i always kind of like those little reminders right. i feel I feel like i'm learning something when i when i listen to <laughs> a podcast if they can just sprinkle in these relevant little factoids. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to give a shout out. This episode today is brought to you in part by the Domestic Violence Crisis Center in Minot. That's the DVCC in Minot. You can find them at courageforchange.org. A lot of people who maybe aren't regional to North Dakota or to Minot have been asking, hey, well, how, how can we help? What can we do with the DVCC? Well, guys, you can go to courageforchange.org and you can make a donation and you can just hey drop them a note from wherever you and say, hey, man, we love to we we love you guys' support of Midwest Murder. So it's courageforchange.org. Every donation here in Minot helps our facility, which offers services 24-7. Services there are free. And and they really I mean it's 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 a really well-kept facility. It's a really comfortable facility considering, of course, when somebody's coming in there, they're going through a really difficult time in their life. And the team at the DVCC in Minot really makes that difficult, challenging, courageous transition, easy for you. The crisis line is 701-857-2200. And once again, services at the DVCC in Minot are free and confidential. And if you are, maybe you're not someone who is experiencing domestic 
violence in your life, but you have a friend who is, perhaps you can get some guidance on how to help them. Perhaps you can be that guiding light that brings them toward the DVCC to take that difficult and courageous step toward change in their life because these cycles of violence will not stop themselves. And the the resources that they can bring you are, they're there to help you. And the difference that they make in the community is so incredible. And, you know, according to FBI statistics, 56% of domestic homicides occur after the victim has ended the relationship or in the process of leaving. You don't have to do that alone. You do not. And that's, that's what they're here for. Again, the crisis line, 701-857-2200. You can find them at courageforchange.org. Make a donation. That's the DVCC in Minot. Thank you. This episode is also brought to you in part by Manscaped. Manscaped. Support for Midwest Murder Today brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for you and your man's jewels. Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming, ladies. For the dudes in your life, I I don't care if it's a you know a, a lot of uh, a lot of. Um, teenagers have been asking for this. One of my friends asked for a, uh, they, they asked the, the, the 19 year old asked for a manscaped. He asked for the lawnmower 4.0. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for Christmas, so definitely, definitely get out there. We have our own code 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Midwest murder at manscaped.com. Yeah. Here, here's, here's the deal guys is that if you're using manscaped, then, you know, you're really taking care of your jewels. And if you're not using Manscaped, you might not have jewels. You might have Neanderthals. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, you don't want Neanderthals down there. Yeah, and that's really what Manscaped like that. helps you with. You can yeah. save 20% off and get free shipping with the promo code Midwest Murder. And I, I, there's a ton of great stuff. I kind of remember, I, I really like the performance package. In the performance package, you actually get the Lawnmower 4.0, one of the most essential devices that they offer. And then you also get the Weed Whacker. The Weed Whacker is an ear and nose hair trimmer. I really liked the Weed Whacker. I was kind of surprised. So if you haven't seen me yet, folks, I got I got a haircut. Jonah, Jonah looks like a, he he looks pretty dapper. Well, thank you. Am I allowed to say is that word? But let me let not? me tell you what was scary about my haircut, Don okay. Palumbo. All right. It exposed my ears. And you know what was going on in my ears? You needed the weed whacker. Boy, I needed that weed whacker. (laughs) I had, I I was, man, I was growing. I was growing bushes in my ears. And I get, man, I get it. Some of y'all don't care. You don't don't care if you have literally weeds growing out from your ears. I don't want them. I think you should. I think you should. I don't want them. And the weed whacker for the weed whacker from Manscaped saves me on that. So I, lo- I love it. And I went back, I ordered more of the boxers. Okay. Those boxers really hold your jewels efficiently. And I'm like, I'm sorry, dudes, I'm calling you out because a lot of you are my friends and I know you and you don't spend the money you should on good underwear. Those undies are pretty fabulous. Dude, the undies are awesome. Again, load up on the undies and get 20% off with promo code MidwestMurder. And a couple of things too, you know, the the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which it has that super duper cool little little LED light. Mm -hmm. It helps reduce nicks and it can reduce the risk of ingrown hairs. That's a big deal. Grooming accidents, I think is terrifying, especially when you're talking about uh, shaving your balls. It's a big deal. It's also Uh, waterproof. And it's waterproof. If if you want to use it in the shower... You Whatever can. it might be, you can. Yes. So, so pretty mid- big deal. Midwest Murder is the code at manscaped.com. You will get 20% off with world free worldwide shipping. Yep. Get 20, 20% off and free shipping with the code Midwest Murder at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code Midwest Murder. Experience premium grooming with Manscaped. You should. Like, seriously. You should. Change my life for the better, big time. <laughs> All right, Dawn. Today, we're traveling back. To 1977. The year Elvis died. Yeah. Did I steal one? Sorry. No, oh. you didn't. Yeah, but that, it August is the year 16, Elvis died. 1977. I, I, wasn't, I was not born. Many of us will also remember this as the year Star Wars was released to the world, forever changing cinema as we know it. Gas was 79 cents a gallon. A new house cost $49,000. Oh my gosh. Right? These, are, these numbers were staggering when I saw them. Rent was around 240 bucks a month. It was two hundred and forty dollars. Two hundred forty bucks. I think like the average, the average uh, income was like fifteen k. So there are still people that make fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and or you know, let's, so just, not, let's let's bump it up to to, to twenty thousand. 
and they're not paying $240 in freaking rent. No, no. Oh my gosh. It was also, this was also the year of the New York City blackout. Oh, Are yeah. you familiar? I've heard about it. Yes. I was so not there. I, wasn't I, there. I wasn't familiar. And it's pretty crazy. In 1977, a series of three lightning strikes caused a thermal overload. It happened in such a way that numerous fail-safes failed, and the grid overloaded at 9.36 p.m. So were they fail-unsafes? You're right. <laughs> the blackout lasted 25 hours. Oh, man. 4,000 people had to be evacuated from the subway. Widespread looting, arson, and vandalism spread over overnight throughout the whole city. Over 1,600 stores were damaged. 4,500 looters were arrested and 500 officers were injured. Oh my gosh. It was a massive catastrophe in July of that year. And people were hot and sweaty too. It was July. Yes. Right? Well, people were yeah. hot and sweaty. And AC, can you imagine? A, AC yeah, wasn't working. No, right? they weren't working and they were just, they were less common. They weren't, yeah, yeah. nothing was ready. Can you imagine kind of being an one of the 4,000 people being in, in the subway? Oh my. Like literally gosh. on a subway train. And it all goes dark. It's I'm sure that's some dark. emergency lighting. It was, it, yeah, it was crazy. Icky. So that's 1977. Not good for my anxiety. Over in NYC. Erstwhile. Rural. Erstwhile. That is a well done on that word, Thank Jonah. You. I, I was, like it. It's pretty stoked I to use like that. I like it. Rural America was a fading landscape in the late 70s. As farming became more reliant on machines and technology, small towns were dwindling out of existence. Running parallel to the dwindling existence of rural America was the rise of television entertainment. In 1950, only about 9% of American households had a TV. That's right around 4 million. By 1977, the year our story takes place, that number rose astronomically to 97% of American households or approximately 71.2 million homes with a television. So is it the baby? Uh, I was gonna make I was gonna make a generational joke, but I feel like people would come at me. I was gonna be like, so it's the it's the baby boomers that ruined it because they're the ones that bought us the TVs. Maybe or they made it. I mean, television was exciting historically. I'm just kidding. The, I'm just kidding, baby boomers. I promise. I'm the boom in television access in the 70s can be connected to the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967, signed into law by Lyndon B. Johnson. As televisions became more commonplace. Popular entertainment evolved in a big way. From the late 60s and beyond, there were continual, massive spikes in creativity. Entertainment got edgier, more sexualized, and provocative. In 1971, CBS canceled all of its rural programming. They were tired of being known as the Hick Network and subsequently canceled the Beverly Hillbillies, Hee Haw, Green Acres. All in the Family debuted later that year and became one of the most popular shows of all time. Because Archie Bunker was a racist asshole. Uh, the talk of damn near every dinner table in the country. People in the U.S. had never seen anything like it. Americans heard the word. I'm going to say the, the F and word. Are, I'm not going to say that. These are F-A-G. Yep. Yep. These are terrible words. But this was in this decade with this show, the first time People ever heard these words on television. Like racial and discriminatory yes. names. You know, yeah. Yep. I'm not even going to say them. So that was the first time that occurred on national programming. From soap operas to science fiction series, game shows, and crime shows, the scenery of entertainment was vastly different. And I believe that to some degree, this opened the eyes of many rural kids. Not everyone is built for farm life, and that's okay. I'm not suggesting that television made people do things, but I don't believe it's illogical to suggest that perhaps the television was a window to another world of possibility. Even more so if you're a rural, rural kid with dreams bigger than your town's 700-person population. I think there were probably a lot of kids who saw a little more of what the world looked like and they wanted out of their rural life. Linda Mae Bruner grew up in Napoleon, North Dakota. Napoleon is a small town about an hour and 15 minutes from the capital of Bismarck and just an hour north of the South Dakota border. Linda May graduated in 1976. She was an A to B student with long blonde hair and glasses. She was quiet, pretty, a hard worker, and well thought of by teachers and employers alike. Her boss, Maggie Wentz, owner of the Wentz Cafe where Linda worked throughout high school, described her as, quote, a perfect little gal. 
In February of 1976, while working at the Wentz Cafe, Linda Mae Bruner met 26-year-old Donald E. Kennedy. He was, from all accounts, the stereotypical tall, dark, and handsome man, standing at six feet tall with longer dark black hair, blue eyes, and a mustache. Yeah, that gosh dang hippie. Oh yeah. Not only that, but he was from California. Oh my gosh. And he had spent some time in southeastern states. The nightmare. So, oh, he was an, exo- well, an exotic person here mm-hmm. in, in, in mm-hmm. little Napoleon, North Dakota. Kennedy's stepfather, Paul Horn, retired just a few years prior, and he moved to North Dakota with his wife, Kennedy's mother, so they could be closer to grandkids. As a child, Donald Kennedy had a lot of emotional problems. He exhibited symptoms of hyperkinesia. Hyperkinesia is a disorder in children marked by involuntary, abnormal, and excessive movements, as well as an inability to concentrate. It was suggested this contributed to the development of a sociopathic personality. His drug and alcohol use started very young. And although further details are scant, it seems, in spite of the dashing good looks and 70s porn stash, Donald Kennedy was facing real emotional issues and his relationship with his stepfather, Paul, was very strained. First, I want to point out, okay, every, whenever anybody says porn stash, everybody knows what it is. Like everybody, it, it's just, it's like that is, that is, especially in the middle of, you know, No Shave November, right? When we're recording this. Here we are. It's uh, the, the 70s porn stash. I had to, I had to get you to immediately that, that. Yeah, get I knew the exactly visual. what it was. Yeah. Here's this hippie with his long hair. Yeah. yeah he's looking, blue, blue eyes, dark right, hair, right. got looking, the stash. Looking like a Rob Reiner in, in, uh, in All in the Family. Probably got a suntan coming into North Dakota in the winter from, from yeah. California. But I mean, you know, if you look at, okay, so this, so this guy, you know, moving with his stepfather, you know, living in rural North Dakota, right? So it's a huge adjustment. And I, I mean, like what kind of guy was his stepfather? Like, do we, do we he, know? Was, he was an old stern man. Right. Well, and it was you the know, 70s. And, and you know, it, it was, was a different, it was a different world, right? Big you know, gap there, yeah, right? Like yeah. Paul Horn, he was like 52. So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's certainly, he seems unfortunately like a troubled kid. Sure. Yeah, right. And, and that, that, and that being a troubled kid carried into his adult life. And now here you're, you're Paul Horn, you marry this woman, you love her. And well, you get the whole package and this package right. includes a son that some might say is a bit of a fuck up. Well, and to be fair in the seventies, we didn't know how to deal with kids like that. No, we didn't. You know, we thought that there was just something wrong with them. You know, if there was, if there was a behavioral issue, well, fuck that kid. Right. You know, it's, and that's not how it So I can only imagine. Oh, my gosh. Donald worked, but he couldn't hold the job. And it's likely he had substance abuse issues. Donald Kennedy was also on parole from California. And it didn't take long for him to start having trouble with local law enforcement in rural North Dakota. He was charged with reckless driving after one incident. Another time, Kennedy threatened to kill another resident. He was subsequently charged and convicted of menacing. The scenes Kennedy created were a cause for turmoil both at home and throughout the community at large. Eventually, Police Chief Steve Englehart asked North Dakota parole authorities to remove Kennedy from the area, which they did. They were tired of his shit. And while his request was granted, forcing Kennedy to move to the Bismarck area, none of these red flags pushed Linda May Bruner away. Hold on a second. Wow, the 70s. The 70s. A police chief could be like, we got to get this kid out of here. We're just going to move him. Like, you know, we it, called the parole board. Get him out of my community. Right. Right. Like it's, it seems good old boy. It's such good old boy stuff. <laughs> but they even did that stuff. Like we had, you know, local, uh, local people that of course were frowned upon in the community. Right. And so we would try to, you know, push them out. How do we like, get them out of here? Like, come on. Oh my gosh. What a time to be alive. Linda May followed Kennedy to Bismarck shortly after he moved there. He worked odd jobs and enrolled in auto body at North Dakota State School of Science. Linda worked at various restaurants and began training as a clerical worker at the Bismarck State Junior College on August 9th. Kennedy left on the weekends to visit Linda May. He was staying in Wapiton, so he'd leave every weekend to come visit Linda May. And the two maintained a long-distance relationship that put added strain on their work lives. They were inconsistent in their attendance on Fridays and Monday. Mondays. I almost said Mondays. <laughs> Linda May was eventually terminated from the program mm. in November. By January of 1977, Donald Kennedy was internally falling apart. 
He was dealing with thoughts of suicide, heavy drinking. He was occasionally using pills. Linda May drove to Steele, North Dakota on the night of January 24th to see Kennedy. When she arrived, he was drunk and his wrists were bleeding from a failed suicide attempt. The situation was tense and Linda was sympathetic for the man she loves. Concern racked her mind when she left. It was all she could think about on the drive back home. Well, she called for help, right? There was no call for help. It doesn't, there was no, he he wasn't checked into a hospital or anything. Well, it was the 70s, yeah. But but you know what, like... It it may be a dramatization on her part. Yeah. You know, but but that... Codependency is hard, man. Because you can just see it between the two of them. That's absolutely codependency. You know, when it's starting to, you know, mess up your work, when it's starting to affect that, you know... First, like new love is lovely. You know, it's so great when you meet somebody new and it's all fun, you know, and then. Um, well, I feel like she's this young. Right. He's, she's a young, kind of naive kid. He's older, mm-hmm. older, hot dude from from California. Right. Yeah. Come so on. She's impressionable. And yeah, so it probably was more codependency on his part, you know, but and then she was young and naive. So poor girl. Mm. The next day, January 25th, 1977. Donald Kennedy's descent into poor choices reached new lows when he showed up to his stepsister Cheryl's house and drank rat poison in an effort to take his own life. Oh my gosh. His antics were not... Will somebody please listen to him? (laughs) Gosh. His antics were not well received. Frankly, she was home only with her five-year-old daughter and it scared the shit out of her. It wasn't long before Kennedy's stepfather, Paul Horn, showed up just after 1 p.m., to confront his stepson. The two argued viciously, screaming at one another. It was a heated encounter fueled by years of mutual animosity. As turmoil spread through the farmhouse, Cheryl desperately tried to calm the two men down, but it was too late. Donald Kennedy's rage boiled over, and he grabbed a shotgun from a nearby bedroom. She rushed to take it from him, but he shoved her off, raised the gun in the direction of his stepfather, Paul Horn, and blasted him. Standing only five feet from his victim, Kennedy's shotgun blow hit Paul Horn in the right side of his stomach, just above the waist. Oh, that is a shotgun, man. At such close range, the blast was fatally devastating and excruciatingly painful. The 12-gauge buckshot ripped through Paul's flesh, tissue, and organs with ease. He collapsed to the floor in a world of pain and spent the final 10 minutes of his life slowly dying in a pool of his own blood while his daughter frantically tried to save him after calling authorities. Oh my gosh. He was later declared shotgunned to death on scene by local law enforcement. Wow. Kennedy dropped the shotgun, grabbed a 243 caliber rifle as well as the keys to Paul's pickup, a gold 1973 Chevy truck. The last thing he said before leaving was a clear threat. I won't be taken alive. Everyone, I have a question. Why did did he actually drink the rat poison? Allegedly. Shouldn't he he be dead yet then? If he's drinking rat poison? I I don't know how much it takes. He had a high tolerance. I I, I don't know, but that's... I mean, I feel like some vomiting would start happening, maybe some foaming, something like that. That, uh, huh. Didn't slow him down. Oh, and I really wish someone would have listened to his pleas. <sighs> so anyway. with no real way to know where Kennedy was heading, authorities set up roadblocks throughout South Central North Dakota. Within hours, the search area was extended to Minnesota and South Dakota. The boyfriend of Linda Mae Bruner, who is just 18, year, 18 years old, is now a murderer. And although it clearly wasn't obvious to authorities, he was headed right for her. And Linda May was at his mother's house. So yeah, Linda May was was eighteen. He was twenty five. Yeah, right? he was yeah. he was twenty five. He was twenty five, twenty six years old. Linda May's eighteen. Uh, so Donald Kennedy must have been a total mess when he got there. A rifle slung over his shoulder, wide eyed and distressed. Linda May listened with tense fear as he quickly relayed the story of his argument with and subsequent murder of Paul Horn, his stepfather. Then he told her, get your checkbook and your purse and come with me. Some tragic combination of fear, 
exhilaration, and love compelled her to go with him. Don, what do you think the chances are that this is the worst decision of Linda May's life? I don't know betting terms because I'm not, a, I, I mean, I, I like, I don't understand the betting terms, but let's just say I'd, I'd bet my next paycheck that this is not going to end well for Linda May. Kennedy drove on back roads, avoiding the highway and interstate. The roadblocks were entirely unsuccessful in preventing the getaway. So sorry. Hang on. So, and, and I'm sure you'll go into this, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm asking now, is he, you know, trying to take her hostage for, you know, to, as or bargaining, bargaining chip is, is he, he wanted her to go with him. We're doing this together because I'm so codependent upon you. Like I killed my dad. I love you. Come with me kind of thing. You know, let's, let's go run away together now. Yeah. Now that I killed my dad and that's finally, that's finally out of the way. Right. Everything's going to be fine. Let's go, let's go live. Yeah. You know. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that because it just, it's, and perhaps someone should have, should have listened to his pleas and listened to his suicide, his suicide threats and stuff like that. There's, there's some evidence. It's the seventies. So I can't, I mean, there's some evidence that, that his mom throughout his life tried to help him quite a bit. Sure. And you know, I'm not, his, his, I, you know, like there is, there is, you know, he wasn't hung out to dry from right, what it seems, right. but he, like you said, a different time, he was a troubled kid. She couldn't manage him. Right. And I, I certainly I, am not saying yeah. anything against his mom. Like, I mean, it's, you know, and you don't know until you're in that experience and all yeah. that stuff. So yeah. I, I don't want to take that away or, or make her out to be a horrible parent or, or obviously his now deceased stepfather, you know, that's, that's Step, stepfather was trying to take care of his mom. Right. You know, you know and, and, but gosh, dang it. It's whenever we go into the seventies or eighties, it always drives me nuts because mental health was just not discussed. Right. And it wasn't, and, it wasn't there. Ugh, all right. I'm off my soapbox. I put it away. Keep going. So she jumps in the 1973 gold Chevy truck with him. And he, again, he drove on the back roads, the roadblocks, not successful. And it was bitter, cold winds howling over the prairie. Man, it was cold. Single digits. This is late January. The stolen 1973 Chevy truck struggled in its journey across the frozen tundra. Eventually, the pair crossed the border into Minnesota. Hang on. And it's frozen tundra means, tundra means frozen ground. So yeah. what you're really saying is frozen, frozen ground. Yeah. So across the tundra anyway. Well, thanks, Dawn. Sorry. Why do people always say frozen tundra then? Because they don't understand. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm here. Now it's Midwest English. That actually we could do. You and I could actually do Midwest <laughs> we, we English. Might be able we would to be able to do one. that. We can't do Midwest we math, be too bad. but we can do we can do Midwest English. My apologies for interrupting. Please continue. <laughs> As they crossed the border, Kennedy told Linda May they were driving to find his real father, who lived in Indiana. Somehow, Kennedy managed to keep them on the road straight through the night. At some point, likely into the evening, he made it onto the interstate, and after around 13 to 14 hours of driving, the couple arrived in Galesburg, Illinois, just a few miles off of I-74. The Chevy truck was on its last leg, and it sputtered as it screeched to a halt in the parking lot of the Regal 8 Motel. Donald Kennedy used a fake name, and the the two checked into a room. Now, at some point, either at this hotel or during the drive down, Kennedy sawed off the barrel of the 243 rifle he was carrying. Why why wouldn't he? Of course. An, an ominous sign. He yeah, had some I, yeah, tool- that's that's not a that's not a good sign. No. no. <laughs> oh my god. And he had some tools in the truck and he tried to work on the truck and fix it, but the upper Midwest region was getting hammered with a blizzard. Linda, Linda May Bruner and Donald Kennedy were more or less stranded at the hotel for several nights until January 29th when finally it stopped snowing and travel was possible again. The decision was made to abandon the Chevy pickup at the Regal Motel. Not only was the truck shitting the bed, police would no doubt be searching for the stolen vehicle as the manhunt spread from North Dakota into the region. Kennedy's plan was to hitch a ride to the interstate. So, with Linda May in tow, the two set off on foot with what little gear they had and stuck their thumbs out for a ride. And you have to really stop and picture this. It's like seven degrees outside. There are heaping mounds of snow all over the place. Stranded vehicles. Shit is, is not even fully like plowed yet, right? It was but a, they have to get out of there. So it was, yes. It was a wintry wasteland in the wake of a blizzard. And these two are walking through it. Midwest nice is powerful during such times. And it wasn't long before a kind man by the name of Bill Horner 
noticed the young couple walking, pulled over, and left them in his truck. You know what? In this in this same situation in 2021, Midwest Nice Bill would have still stopped and picked them up. Probably. I mean, that's you it's know likely. It's pretty seven likely. degrees yeah. blizzard. Yeah. He started driving and asked, "Where are you headed?" Suddenly, Kennedy brandished the sawed-off rifle and demanded he take them to the interstate. Shockingly, Bill Horner was outwardly unfazed. He pulled over and told the kid to get the hell out of his vehicle. <laughs> okay, Bill's like taking no shit. He's like, None. you don't scare me. Get the fuck out. He's like, you little prick. <laughs> Sorry about my language today. Man. Refusing Kennedy's demand to drive toward the interstate. So it was a tense standstill. Bill Horner, staring a wild-eyed, gun-toting young man in the face, was not backing down. Linda May was likely the most terrified person in the situation. She kept her head down and didn't say a word. After a few strained moments, Donald Kennedy and Linda May exited the vehicle on the street corner of a nearby shopping mall, and Bill Horner left to report the incident. It was just after lunchtime. The two were now stranded. I don't want to um, help this fella, you know, at, at this point. He's not well, you know. Uh, but, I mean, couldn't he have just asked nice guy Bill? Just be like, hey, we're going to the interstate. I mean, that would have... Yeah, I don't... He stopped I don't mean, to help I don't mean him. To, yeah, it's... I don't mean to Monday morning quarterback a murder or a potential murder at this point. So, yeah. Anyway. That same day, Mary Treadway left her home eager to get out after the blizzard and head to the market for otherwise typical Saturday afternoon errands. Because of the blizzard, the shopping center area was pretty desolate, not so typical. And even more strange, the young freezing couple who looked cold and they needed a ride to the Holiday Inn just down the road. When Mary Treadway saw the young woman's face, her heart was compelled to help. She couldn't leave this poor girl outside in a blizzard And the man she was with didn't strike her as dangerous, but the two were clearly desperate. Mary Treadway drove a single cab truck with a camper on the back. Linda May got in and rode in the middle with Donald Kennedy on the passenger side. Before long, Kennedy asked Mary Treadway if she'd give them a ride to the interstate instead of to the hotel, and she generously agreed. Mary drove to the interstate and pulled over to let him out. As Linda May turned to exit the truck, her heart sank. Fear welled up inside her. Donald Kennedy was holding the sawed-off two forty-three rifle. He aimed the gun at Mary Treadway and demanded she exit the vehicle. An argument ensued. Linda May was petrified. Mary Treadway was a good, proud woman and didn't believe her life was in danger when suddenly, BAM! A single shot from the rifle shattered the sound waves of the vehicle, thunderous and sudden. Kennedy had shot Mary Treadway in the arm. He quickly hurried around to the driver's side of the truck, shoved Mary into the middle between him and Linda May, and started driving down the interstate toward Indiana. Likely a very bleeding, big time bleeding. It was kind of, yeah, I think it was kind of a flesh wound. And so Kennedy was determined to find Mm -hmm. his father and his family in Indiana. Yikes. Now, it's still the afternoon of January 29th. In a matter of just three days, Donald E. Kennedy committed murder, attempted kidnapping, and now an actual kidnapping along with a violent assault. Linda May, whether she fully understood the magnitude of her choice to be with him or not, was now accomplice to the latter actions. I would fight that so hard. I'd fight that so hard. She's Kennedy, how is she's an accomplice. She's a she's a victim. Kennedy took the wheel and shoved a weeping Mary Treadway aside. He drove for an hour or two before stopping at a service station for gas and beer. They were heading toward Indianapolis, about a four about a four hour drive. At some point, Kennedy pulled onto the shoulder so the women could get out and pee on the side of the road. He kept watch while they did, and then told Linda May it was her turn to drive. She drove for another hour or so before Kennedy had to stop and take a leak. He was drinking beer the whole time. So didn't, didn't share any with the with the recently shot no, woman to help pay him sure. Did not share beer. So we have another interstate piss break and they were nearly to Indianapolis. Kennedy, as I said, had been drinking beers, 
took back control of the vehicle, and he made Mary Treadway ride on the passenger side and Linda May ride in the middle. Meanwhile, back in Galesburg, when Mary Treadway didn't return home, her husband had a terrible feeling. He just knew something wasn't right. He phoned police to report her missing, and police had already received the earlier phone report of an attempted kidnapping from Bill Horner. So when Mary Treadway was reported gone, they knew there was a possible connection here. As officers fanned out across the Galesburg area, they found the abandoned 1973 Chevy pickup with North Dakota plates. The truck was quickly traced back to its murdered owner, Mm -hmm. Paul Horn. Now Illinois authorities knew their suspect was wanted for murder in North Dakota, and the manhunt for Donald Kennedy went massive. The FBI came on board. Police interviewed a clerk at the convenience stop who was able to identify Mary Treadway and confirmed seeing her with two younger people. Authorities knew they had to act fast if they were going to prevent Kennedy from any further destruction. It was early evening by the time Donald Kennedy, Linda Mae Bruner, and Mary Treadway, their hostage, arrived in the city of Indianapolis. Kennedy initiated the search for his birth father by visiting a bunch of different shithole bars and taverns. Every time Kennedy went in, he turned the vehicle off and took the keys. Each time he'd return, he'd start the truck and head to the next bar. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't they just leave? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm not going to question the victim. I'm sorry. That's... They, yeah, I, I agree. Couldn't, I don't know. So what if they did keys? They can, like, I mean, Indianapolis, there's... If he's in a shithole bar somewhere, I'm guessing somebody there's something nearby as well. So it's 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 unclear what happened in that in scenario that, in that time. Yeah, like like it's really because uh, it's a fair question. Was Linda May possibly more involved than it seemed like? Did she keep watch over Mary Treadway while sure. he went yeah. in? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm I'm making her out to be too innocent. I well, don't know. I mean, I I I would like to believe that yeah. she did not. Right. I. I I, I would like to believe that she was scared out of her mind. She had to have been. From the moment that first yeah. gunshot, she was getting right. out of the car when he when he pulled the gun on the lady. You know, she's like, okay, I guess she's not going to take us. We got to get out of here. Right. And, and, and then he pulled the gun on Mary. Well, so, and in Midwest Nice's, uh, Nice Bill's pickup, you know, she kept her head down the entire time. You know, that, that yeah. speaks victim to me. That's, that's. Yep, I yeah. agree. Hmm. After a handful of tavern searches, it was getting late, about 11 o'clock. Kennedy, Kennedy turned down a residential street, and while still driving the pickup, he pulled out the sawed-off 243 rifle, reached over Linda Mae Brunner, and shot poor Mary Treadway point-blank in the head. Oh, my gosh. Oh, whoa. It was sudden and terrifying, and he did it in a single action while driving. The close-range shot from the high-velocity rifle passed through her skull with ease, killing her instantly. Linda May was frozen in fear and terror, likely wondering if she would be next. Okay. That blew my mind. I mean, I, I, I saw it coming, but I didn't expect that. So he's driving around in this vehicle. He's just shot a shot out of a shotgun. Have you heard how loud that is? A rifle. Or, 243. Oh, 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 sawed oh, off 243 rifle. rifle. Sorry, yep, yep, yep. Sorry, I was still on the shotgun. Either way, still pretty loud. Yeah. Um, so that's on in, the inside of the, the cab. On the inside of the cab of a, of, of a vehicle. Can you imagine? And it was the 70s. And, that thing was metal. And you've got like, Linda May who's in the middle. Right. And I mean, so his his arm like reaching a, kind of like across so it's like gun right by is her like ear. right in her face yep. for sure. Yeah, yeah right it, by her ear. And not only that, but now, I mean... Forgive me for being, I, I don't want this to come, come across as crass or, or disrespectful, but you know, if you're going to shoot somebody in the head, there's, and it's sawed off, right? So it's a little bit messier. There's going to be brain matter. There's blood. There's skull fragments. I mean, there's got to be. I, I, so I did speak with somebody who knows a little bit about ballistics because I couldn't get the actual forensic files on this and the likelihood. So this is this is not a large caliber round. Okay. It, it would not have spread. So it and it would have entered through the side of her skull is where it entered at. Sure. And it's a small round at high velocity. It likely traveled right through, right through. So it wouldn't and have been pushed super... some pushed some blood out, but not in the way like we think of it in the movies where you, you see somebody get shot 
and, and, and it's and, not and, the shotgun at this point. You know, no, it's the rifle. It's, it's a so, rifle, right? Okay. Just right. like like similarly, if I look back, like I look back on the walked case, mm-hmm. and and the, where where the the victim was shot at close range in the head with the nine millimeter, that bullet didn't actually travel through his head, bounced around right. in his skull because it right. couldn't pass through the the bone. It's likely this passed right through, but it would not have been a crazy blowing the brains out right. across the truck right. type of effect. But because it was so such high velocity, I'm correct. sure. Was, okay. All right. And again, I'm not I wasn't trying to be crass or disrespectful, but that was my that was my initial It was my yeah. initial thought mm-hmm. too when yeah. I when I when I was researching this and I was what I was like, holy crap, did this splatter brains everywhere right. or what? And I again I I talked to not quite a ballistics expert, yeah, but, but somebody, uh, but somebody yeah, who somebody in the world, somebody yeah. in the world, and hmm. that's what we what that's that's what the information I got. Okay, so. well, thank you. I appreciate I, I appreciate the the. Well, it's, it's like we, it's like you share my brain now. We promise analysis from experts, and and yeah, I I, I talked to somebody who that's is cool. uh, in a in a position of authority mm-hmm. who understands these things, and yeah. So. Kennedy drove Mary Treadway's truck around for a few minutes, her bleeding corpse in the passenger side of the vehicle, until he found an an, an abandoned building where he haplessly dumped her body. A few minutes later, Donald Kennedy and Linda Mae Bruner arrived at the tavern where Kennedy's natural father was hanging out with his girlfriend. I'm not sure what this little meeting was like, but it must have been awkward and strained. It's unclear just how much Kennedy's father knew about their situation when he agreed to help them with a place to stay. It was late in the evening, and he brought them to stay at a friend's house. Linda May, Linda May Bruner was in shock, presumably from the first rifle shot to Mary Treadway's arm, utterly swept up in the wake of Donald Kennedy's rage and desperate actions. She went with him out of love, but in a matter of days, she was frozen to his presence by fear a passenger inside her mind, helplessly watching things happen in proximity to her body, unable to stop Kennedy from killing and terrified she might be his next victim. The next day, on January 30th, they made plans to go to Kennedy's grandma's house. En route to their destination, Kennedy and his father got into an argument. Kennedy pulled the stolen truck over and bodily threw his dad from the vehicle and then went on to his grandma's. I don't know what they argued about, but he tossed his dad out the car, the truck. This is this is why people didn't trust long, dark-haired men with porn star mustaches in the 70s. Be warned. It's this guy. On this same day on the 30th, two young boys tragically come across the body <sighs> no. of Mary Treadway. And so they knew, of course, the FBI hot on the trail, connecting the pieces of the ill-begotten journey and the national media completely on alert, they finally connected Kennedy to his family in Indianapolis. And on January 31st, Donald E. Kennedy and Linda Mae Bruner were arrested by FBI agents outside of his grandma's house without incident. Oh, now now he goes nicely? Now he's like, oh, no, I'm cool. I'm ready. I don't think, well, he didn't see him coming. Oh, he was just leaving, just walking out, oh and they, they knew he was there. They got him. So they were charged with kidnapping, and Bond was set for half a million dollars. Linda May was despondent during questioning at the FBI office. She was confused. And although she was legally an adult, Linda May Bruner was still a pretty naive 19-year-old girl from a small town. Agents drilled her with questions. It was overwhelming. She signed some papers and voluntarily gave two different statements. It was a mess, and the poor girl should have asked for a lawyer. The two were then indicted on February February 8th and set to stand trial separately, first for kidnapping, then for murder. Word of their arrest spread quickly across the nation, reaching Steele, North Dakota, and the small surrounding towns where Linda May was from. Townsfolk spoke of it in hushed tones, hardly believing the quiet, hardworking, and pretty young woman was part of all this. Linda Mae Bruner's trial date for the kidnapping crime came first in June of 1977. This makes me so sad. She was facing up to life in prison for kidnapping. Yeah. Now, a doctor testified that in all likelihood, Linda Mae Bruner was suffering from a disrupted mental state known as transient situational disturbance, which is caused by shock, fear, and fatigue. The facts of this case were pretty indisputable. 
However, it was argued heavily by the defense that Linda May was not a willing, complicit participant in the actions of Donald Kennedy. She wasn't consulted on his decisions. She had no say in the actions of Kennedy, and she did not willfully harm or kidnap anyone. At just 19 years old, Linda May also qualified for the Youth Corrections Act. The Youth Corrections Act was passed in 1950, and it was designed to prevent vulnerable young offenders from becoming habitual criminals. Anyone in, through the age, between the ages of 18, 20, 18 and 26 could qualify. It was actually made with young veterans coming home from World War II in mind sure. because they, you know, it was a hard life to come back from. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so if you had a, a prior good record, you could qualify for this. Right. It was still in effect mm-hmm. here. The prosecuting attorney in turn outright called Linda May Bruner a liar and claimed she manipulated the psychiatrist with her pity story, making a particularly big deal of her inconsistencies during questioning with the FBI when she was arrested. If you'd like to, if you'd like to hear my opinion on that, let's um, let's you can listen to a prior episode when I go off on a tangent of a of a child advocacy center because if she's a vulnerable adult, like ugh, drives me nuts. Yeah, Inconsist- I, inc- it, inconsistencies happen. You try telling your story ten times over. Well, and it was again. You're talking fatigue, panic, yeah. fear. You get yanked into this FBI office and you start getting hammered on. And she clearly and, has and, no idea what's going on, you know, because I mean, she's, she just signed some papers and, you know, doesn't ask for an attorney. She needed a lawyer. Right then and there before she talked to them. Oh my gosh. After 80 minutes of deliberation, the jury found Linda May Bruner guilty for kidnapping. A pre-sentence report was ordered to inform sentencing. At the hearing, the sentencing hearing, the presiding judge decided Linda May was not to benefit from the provisions of the Youth Corrections Act, which would have limited her to about six years. He also told the court that Linda May, Linda May Bruner's continued refusal to accept responsibility for her actions in the commission of these crimes was the basis for a very serious sentence to serve as a deterrent to anyone who would act similarly. Linda May, Linda May was then sentenced to 27 years in prison. She broke down into tears and was taken away. She would be eligible for parole in 1986. Good grief. I, How does that make you feel? It makes me feel very icky and it makes me feel like she... Now, just going by what the story, she's a victim. That's going by the story. That's my that's my personal opinion. But she made the choice to go with him. Right, because she's in love. She has no idea that he's going to kill how many people. And I'm with you. It makes it breaks my heart. The system if if she was in fact a victim, the system failed her. They the thing is, is there's no evidence to say that she wasn't. She was there. There's no evidence to say she wasn't a victim. The, to me, there's more evidence to say that she was, but this guy spins it around. Uh, I mean, again, this young kid, uh, it, 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 to me, it's, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking. Well, and it's, it's you know, borderline. Why couldn't you just let her get the YCA? Well, young, young right. kid, no bad record. Like, the, I, I'm sorry, this, this judge, this was a prick decision. Well, and she went... So she went willingly. Okay. Right. Like that's okay. She went willingly, but with somebody she loved, she was 19, a vulnerable adult, you know, if you, if you will, I mean, naive, yes. you know, she had somewhat just naive. graduated high school. Yeah. Very naive. And, and mind you, in 1973, you know, the, the, the Stockholm syndrome became a, a thing, right? Because of that bank robbery, and you know there were uh, there were hostages, what four four hostages or something like that, I think, yep. and they were held for almost a week. And the hostages, when they were rescued, they they tried to protect them, right? And because that's because something happens psychologically, okay. So I mean, like having that, I don't know when they came up with that with that that term, but clearly, clearly somebody should have picked up on that. If yep. she herself is a victim. Ugh. But it's, again, it's the 70s, so it's, it's like it's just, fine. I don't know. I guess what makes me mad is that he wanted to make an example out of her. And right. 
He used a 19-year-old, a 19-year-old to make an example of. For what? For what? And for what? Oh, don't. I guess don't give in to love. Yeah. If you if you I mean pay attention to the red flags. I don't know. Like it, right. it just it's Which, really I mean, yes, it's it, really tough. Life advice. I think that's I'm gonna create a segment here, if you don't mind. You know, life advice. You know, I knit that scarf with you for all the red flags I gave you, right? Uh, I think I've said that before. Uh, you know, pay attention. Watch out for the red flags. Even at, you know, nineteen. Look for the signs. Look for the signs. Read the book The Alchemist because but, it, it teaches you how to find them. But oh man, I know I'm reading I'm I gotta read that. But life, uh, or love, I should say, let's go love. Let's use that. Young love, when you're 19, you're on top of the world, right? And then, and then you go with the dude that you love, and then all of a sudden he starts shooting people. Like, oh, it drives me nuts. Yeah, it drives me, I, I'm, I'm bothered by this. It, 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 I am too. It, it hurts. So things were less complicated for the trial of Donald Kennedy. He was found guilty of kidnapping in July and later that same year of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Linda May was found guilty of manslaughter for the death of Mary Treadway to be served concurrently with her pre-existing sentence. He... So... She was sentenced to 27 years. He was sentenced to life and then sentenced to life on the other one but it was to be served concurrently, which means at the same time, yep. right? Not consecutively. Yeah, so she, if it, her, her sentencing wasn't extended by being guilty of the manslaughter. So she was, right. she already, so, yeah. Yeah. But so he gets, what do they say? Like 30, like li- they say life is like what? 35 or 40 years. I don't 40, remember. I 40 is it? Yeah. yeah. So he gets 13 more years. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I can't, I can't say for certain, but just, just, my opinion on, on how I've heard the story, she she got frigged. I don't like it. That's how I felt. And it feels like our story's over, Don. But wait. There's, there's more. more. Is there really? Okay. All right. I'm, am I gonna change I'm gonna change my mind, aren't I? In October done. Not necessarily. Okay. In October of nineteen seventy nine, Linda May was serving out her sentence in a West Virginia prison for women. Now, the prison was in a pretty remote forested area and on the grounds were various cottages with different levels of security, housing 40 to 45 women each. Linda May had what they call, quote, out privileges, meaning she could be assigned duties off the prison grounds with an escort. So like she was a trustee. Yep. Yep. During her time there, Linda May befriended Leslie Diane Standifer, a 41-year-old lifer in prison for murder. The women weren't troublemakers and were considered by the warden and his staff to be, quote, better than the average people in the institution. <laughs> just, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was the 70s. It, like how. <sighs> okay. sa- <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, it's just it's I thought that was hilarious. All right. I feel like maybe we, we can't record on Fridays. We can't record on Fridays because I'm, I'm all heated up from the week. And, it's a uh, great and, time to and I'm, I'm ready to fight. So anyway, go ahead. Go on ahead. Saturday, October 20th, during a routine cottage check at 9.15 p.m., Linda May and Diane Standifer were missing. Mm-hmm. They were last seen around 7 p.m. The facility sprung into action immediately, and with nowhere to flee in the desolate forested area, the warden didn't expect they'd get too far. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing but forest... Anywhere. So she's been there for two years. Couple years, at, at yep. This, at this point, just two years. So yep. she's now 21 or 20 or 21, basically. 21, yep. maybe 22. Yeah, just depending. A search quickly turned up a portion of fence that had been cut. And when the women weren't found in the immediate area, prison officials linked a potential getaway driver to their escape. A man who visited Diane Standifer on Saturday, Guy Davis Jr., was believed to have assisted driving a black Chevy Camaro. Sweet car. It's like, yeah, like, it's like a real getaway car. If I pictured a getaway, it would absolutely <laughs> it's a real getaway be. Car. And I don't it's, even like Chevys. Imagine like, I would if I said, be, like, driving a brown Datsun. You know no, what? It's, no, it's, it's driving it's a, a black a Chevy Camaro. Or you know what else I picture? Like a Wagoneer from the 80s. Sure. I don't know why. Yep. It just feels right. Federal authorities had no idea where the women might be heading. And the case was quickly turned over to U.S. Marshals. That was October 20th on Saturday. Late in the evening, on Monday, October 22nd, 
George Dennis of the Roswell Police Department in New Mexico was routinely running out-of-state license plates at the Motel 6 when he got a red flag. See what happens when you pay attention to red flags? A black Chevy Camaro with West Virginia plates was registered as a stolen vehicle. The paranoia of the escapees must have been massive right now, peeking out the window constantly, wondering if you'll, if you, have I really gotten away? Oh my then gosh. suddenly there's a cop out Scott outside scoping things out. I would barf. I would barf from the anxiety. I couldn't do it. Like imagine you're pacing around the room, freaking out. What are we going to do? I would just give up and barf. Do, do you think, do we kill the cop? Can we get away? What happens now? When officer Dennis got the hit, he naturally went to the motel six office to identify who was staying in the room? Who, who was the owner of this vehicle? What room are they staying in? The escapees figured he might be distracted long enough. So Linda May, Diane Standifer, and their knight in shining armor, Guy Davis Jr., left their room and started casually walking away from the motel. Do, do, do. Just, He's fine. Just going for an evening stroll. Right. It's fine. It didn't work. And they were easily apprehended by law enforcement who had no idea the women were escaped convicts like that was your chance that was your chance to make up a name make up all kinds of stuff there weren't any of those systems out there it was it was an easier time to just get away with stuff possibly 1979 make up a name i i'm not encouraging this you guys i'm sorry i was really struck by i guess you're just as a police you you go through motels and hotels and run plates that's a thing it was the middle of the night maybe. i I mean i'm not or late in the evening. If that's a thing that leads to, I, I guess it led to the capture of these guys. And in the end, they were escaped convicts. The one chick was, so I don't know. It's bored on the night shift. Yeah. Or boring. Not so bored. boring. Lin- Linda May was returned to West Virginia and she served the rem- remainder of uh, her time. She was ultimately released on parole in 1989. Hmm. So she she did get out on she, parole. So she got a little more. I mean, obviously, you know, she could have got out. Time. She was, would have been qualified with good behavior on 86. That's what surprised me about her escape. I, I mean, I, I know she obviously felt like she didn't belong and shouldn't have been in prison. And I, and I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to disagree with that feeling. Uh, but if you could have got out in 86, then, you know, you're, you're doing, you're, I don't want to say you're only doing, but it, 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 that is a fraction of what you had been sentenced for. She did try to, uh, of course, appeal her, the, but it, it it didn't work. And I was, again, I was really surprised that even on appeal, they couldn't get a reevaluation of her qualifying for the Youth Corrections Act. And again, I feel like perhaps if her family or somebody, I, I feel like if they could have had a paid for a good lawyer, a good lawyer might have been able to get her out of some of this stuff or get her sentence reduced, whereas she didn't have a good lawyer and have the money for that. Right, you know, I don't right. let, let's not pretend like high paid, high profile lawyers can't make a difference for somebody like Linda May for or sure. a vi- or a vi- victim's advocacy center. But I, I just don't think people were seeing her as the victim. Not many nobody, people were nobody seeing saw the, her. The as psychiatrist the is maybe the only one, but from a medical standpoint, he was saying like, look, I, it's pretty easy to tell she was in shock. Well, and you know, I'm, but they didn't care. Well, and in the seventies, the prosecutor's like, "Oh yeah, she she manipulated this this high degreed man with you know." Well, you've got you know, you've, damn near you have, called her a harlot, you know. Right, right. He didn't go that far, but, but it, it's have. how I felt. But you, the way they vilified her. You know, you have you have the mental health, of course, in the seventies was nothing. So you have this guy who, this psychiatrist or psychologist, you know, he's you know selling some bill of goods and what a bunch of horseshit that is. Right. So nobody's believing him. And then you, you have Perry Mason or Matlock, you know, prosecuting the case and calling this girl who had likely, in my opinion, again, no idea what she was doing and, or what she was signing up for. And, uh, and you know, almost calling her a harlot. Of course they're going to believe her. Yep. That's what, that's what TV shows are made of, man. Yeah. I'm really, I'm actually proud of myself for remembering Perry Mason and Matlock. That was good. Perry Mason, super good. Matt Matlock, that was yeah, that was that was good too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sources for this case: uh, court documents and appeals documents. The Galesburg Register Mail, the Bismarck Tribune, law.justia.com, www.americancentury.omeka.wlu.edu. Oh wow! And Hein 
Online.org. That's H-E-I-N online.org. Thepeopleofhistory.com. Again, today's episode is brought to you in part by Manscaped. Manscaped. Huge thank you to them. And uh, remember, get 20%, 20% off, off and free shipping. And free worldwide free shipping. We have we have with the code. We have listeners in a lot of countries. You can also get that. It's worldwide free shipping. With the code Midwest Murder at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code Midwest Murder. Experience premium grooming with Manscaped. Seriously, guys, if for nothing else, just Use this 20% off code to justify buying some really nice fancy underwear. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Please. Yeah, it's great. And if you're a woman who whose man buys cheap underwear all his life, just do this for him. Yeah. He deserves it. You deserve it. Check out the undies. Check out the the ball hair trimmer. Okay. Check out the weed whacker. You get the waterproof yeah. ball hair trimmer. It's the lawnmower 4.0. It has a light. Do it. It's so good. So good. So good. Also, thank you to the DVCC in Minot for sponsoring this episode of Midwest Midwest Murder. You can find them, courageforchange.org. That's the website. You can donate, courageforchange.org. And the crisis line is 701-857-2200. Thank you. Came from the Midwest. Stay for the murder.